I was in the middle of a teaching, and uh, I was making a point, and then the point opened up to me. And uh, I felt like this is, I, I can tell you in broad terms what it is that I've been preaching about this entire year, but this is really the only thing that deeply pierced my heart. And it has to do with the uh, Messiah's empathy. And let's see whether I can make this thing work here. And we're not making it work, but it is on. Click. Great. All right. In the incarnation, Jesus took upon himself the limitations and weaknesses of a human being. In the incarnation, the pre-incarnate Son of the living God took upon himself the limitations and the weaknesses of a human being. He was brutally tempted. He was subjected to extraordinary spiritual warfare. And he was tempted, hear me, this is hard to hear, Imagine that there is like a paper-thin barrier between remaining in complete fellowship with the Father and breaking through to the other side where all of a sudden there's alienation. He was brutally tempted. He was brutally tempted to either, and the choice was to stay in relationship with his Father or to go his own way. And as a human being, again, I want to say this, he suffered temptation. We're familiar with what happened, I hope we are, with what happened to the Messiah in the wilderness. The adversary came, and after the Lord had fasted 40 days, he sought to bring Jesus out of his identity and out of the will of the Father. And uh, it's not something which is supposed to be looked at lightly. I remember preaching on this like 30-something years ago and said, well, the devil, it was like hitting a brick wall. It was like Jesus was so resolute in his holiness But the scripture says that he was tempted by the devil. Tempted by the devil. And there's something about temptation that the Lord experienced there. And this is, of course, within the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John does not include the temptation from the devil. But you know what it does speak about? In John 6, it speaks about the time that the people, so enamored with the king of glory, seeing uh, the, the prospects of the messianic kingdom, they sought to take him and make him king and he withdrew. The temptation there did not come from the adversary offering an easy path to the, uh, to the throne. Here it came from the people, so loving him, so hoping in him, that they, gave, they offered to him an easy path to the throne. And then at Gethsemane, we find that he was again in the throes of temptation, I don't know whether it was blood, I don't know whether it was sweat, I don't know whether it was bloody sweat, I just, I studied it, I don't know. But I can say this, if it was sweat, it poured off of him as if someone had taken a knife and sliced his forehead. It was a copious outpouring of, of, uh, of, of manifest anxiety and, and, and tension. Jesus was tempted Now, after Gethsemane, this is important to hear from me. After Gethsemane, the Lord said, put away your sword, right? Don't you know that even now, after Gethsemane, after saying, not my will, but yours, he said, do you not know that even now I could call upon my Father and he would send angels to deliver me? 
after he had already made the decision, he said to them, even now. And what that means to me is that he freely chose between the acceptable and the complete will of God. It was not just about obedience. It was the higher will. Even now says that he didn't have to go. Now, just think about that for a second. I know that that's really crazy and sort of radical. But was he saying, even now I can call upon the Father and he will assist me in my disobedience? No. This was, an, this was a, a, a freely offered gift of obedience and love to the Father. And in John 17, with his eyes uh, towards the Father, but speaking of his disciples, he said, for their sakes I sanctify myself. For their sakes. He had these two motivations in him. Father, I want your will and not my own. And I love them so much, I'm choosing your will and not my own. It's an awesome thing what Jesus is like, what Jesus did for us. He was tempted to receive kingdoms from the adversary. He was tempted to receive the kingdom from the people. He turned away. He was tempted to, and could have been tempted to, even after he made that decision to say, Father, it's too much for me. Send the angels. Let's bring this thing to a climax now. He didn't. He faced temptation. He never sinned. Now, in, the, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, there are problems in that wonderful community of uh, pride and division. Uh, we, we get a hint of that in the end when, in Philippians 4, uh, Paul says, please tell Yodia and Syntyche, these dear sisters, to live in peace with one another. Incredible emphasis upon uh, upon humility in Philippians. And I want us to take a look at how Paul wrote about Jesus. He said, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in the Messiah Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He really he became a man. John 1 1, the word, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. I'm sorry, John 1 1, and the Word was, God, was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on in John 1, it says, and that Word became flesh and dwelled among us. He really became a human being. And here's the thing that I want us to know in our approach to Jesus He became the type of person, the type of human being that could be tempted. That's the point of the synoptic saying that he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was actually tempted. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we see that he remembers that experience. Jesus is our high priest, and the writer to Hebrews said this, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. This sympathy is deep, it's real, and it is directed towards each one of us. I'll give you an illustration of, what, of how I think of being tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. 
Suppose my wife and I and a couple of friends, we went out to a restaurant, and it is the waiter from hell. Makes us wait, finally comes over, brings, uh, brings us coffee. Uh, two out of the four or five cups of coffee have lipstick on the coffee cups. Yeah. Then it the, then comes back in another 10 minutes, takes our order, brings the order back, uh, brings the wrong food, uh, the food that's right. Uh, it's, it, it, it's not cooked the way it was asked. It's like, it's like it's dripping red hamburger. We asked for it to be well done. And then, so, you know, listen, you didn't bring the right order, and we asked for this. And then they give all sorts of attitude, and they turn around, and you hear them muttering under their breath as to, like, what lousy patrons you are, in fact. And, uh, you know, the, I'm there with some people, my wife and some people from our congregation, and then uh, the, the waiter returns and says, well, you know, like, I'll be back in a few minutes to try to take care of your order. And somebody that I'm with loses it and says to that waiter, you are without a doubt the most stupid, irresponsible, careless, terrible waiter. I, I can't believe that they still have let you keep this job. And then they look, and there's the pastor across the table, and they go, oops. Because I'm, I'm the hero in this story. <laughs> I didn't lose my cool, you see. But believe me, my patience was being, was being tried, especially after she spilled, uh, uh, spilled some coffee and, and, and it went into uh, 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 my wife Elaine's uh, lap and this uh, white skirt got mildly... I mean, I'm beginning... And what I say to my friend who finally told this waiter off is this. Listen, I understand how you could do that. I was this close to telling him off myself. Tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Like somehow I was rescued, or somehow I turned away from the temptation. But I empathize. I could have told that waiter off. And dear ones, when it comes to the temptations in our lives, Jesus understands. He understands. That's what this means when it says that the person who represents you and me before the throne of God sympathizes, empathizes with our weaknesses. Because he's been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. There's actually empathy there is sympathy from Jesus to you, not just because he's wonderful and holy and loving, but because he can relate. Try to get that. It may help you in your relationship to Jesus. He understands how we might sin. He was tempted to that degree. Now, by the way, before I go any further, I need to mention to Pastor Jim, there is not a clock up here. By my hips. Thank you. This is good for you. <laughs> what time is our service over? Don't tell me three minutes. No, seriously. Approximately. 
I have 20 minutes left. And away we go. And if I don't get through it, listen, if I don't get through this, what it is that I shared with you, for a person who wants to know the Lord and is somewhat spiritually responsible, this little bit of emphasizing this plainly written truth can help you in your relationship with the Lord and how he views you. It can help you for the rest of your life. Take this little piece of truth and plant it in your soul. Be responsible for it. And then, if you let it slip, also remember, he knows what it's like to be tempted to let reality slip. When a person has empathy towards someone who is in sin or someone who is being sorely tempted, they're saying, I can understand how you could sin. I could have fallen too. He was the lamb without blemish, but he empathizes. Difficulty with greed, fear, anxiety, envy. Jesus does not just know what it is that you're going through from the outside. Imagine him being tempted to the degree that he could have pierced through that barrier of fellowship with God into being out of fellowship with God. That's what this text is trying to tell us. Try to get that. What is his attitude towards you and what is his attitude towards me in the midst of our temptations? He is definitely kindly disposed towards us. He also sympathizes. And this can transform how we see him looking at us. He understands how you can transgress, not just intellectually. He was tempted in all things like we are or have been, yet without sin. I'm going to read that verse again. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Tempted? Does he remember it? I would think that he remembers it well. Does he remember the feeling? I would think that he remembers the feeling well. And I encourage you to relate to Jesus that way, a friend who empathizes with us in our weaknesses. Now, I, by the mercy of God, have never been involved, maybe I should have been, but I was never involved with a 12-step program. Um, they're like addictions and support groups. I've not been involved. Uh, but one of the things that they have is they have people who are empathetic. And they have people who also understand the games, the tricks, the excuses, and they know what it's like to have really blown it. There are, you know, every type of anonymous group imaginable, including, I don't know, anonymous anonymouses for people who are particularly shy. And, you know, there's like this whole, like, but everybody that's there understands. And people go there and they get support. It's like this. I'm with people who understand. I am not ashamed because they know what it feels like. They know me. Jesus, according to Hebrews 4.15, understands. He never fell, but he knows what it was like to want to transgress. That's what temptation is. 
It's wanting to transgress. Severe temptation is like, like, it's like a step away from actually committing the act. Or being, uh, uh, having one's heart hardened so that you've determined to do the act. Jesus understands. I hope that you can see him like that according to this verse. He took upon himself not only our physical limitations, but the type of nature that can be subject to temptation. He became a man. Adam never sinned. I mean, Adam was created spotless. Adam was created without sin. Adam could be tempted. Jesus was not created with an inherent sinful nature. But as the first Adam, he was subject to temptation. And Jesus, our hero, overcame. He overcame. No matter how he was tempted, no matter, to, no, no matter to, uh, how close to the brink the adversary or, his, or, or whatever was going on in him brought him, he, he overcame. He's a hero. He's our hero. It was a real war from beginning to the resurrection. It was a war. And he won. And he did it for us. And he remembers our struggles. Because he was tempted like we are. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Dear ones, we are called to obedience, to view, to view Jesus as someone who sympathizes, who empathizes with us. We're called by prophetic apostolic instruction to see Jesus like that. If you don't see Jesus like that, I encourage you to join me in a reorientation. We have a high priest who can empathize with our weaknesses. There is not an area in your life where you struggle or have fallen where Jesus does not empathize. He can empathize. He does empathize. He was tempted. He understands how we might sin. You may have noticed that I'm saying the same thing over and over again. Well, why would I do that? Because, dear ones, this has meant something to me. And I want it to mean something to you. And if by repetition I can get this to be impressed upon you as something which is important in the way that you perceive Jesus relating to you, well, I honestly feel, by the mercy of God, that I am representing this aspect of his personality to you. I believe he wants you to know this about himself. And I believe that he wants you to see yourself as beloved in his eyes, as someone who actually does sympathize, empathize with you in your weaknesses. And dear ones, everybody's got them. And everybody can be the recipient of the experience of Jesus' empathy as we receive this word by faith. Jesus was tempted to the degree that he could have fallen. Now, in my meditation, moving on a little bit, I thought about Jesus' instruction. I, I spent a lot of time preaching about Jesus over the last several years, and one of the things that I taught on was trying to find Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Messiah seeking to disciple people to live like he lived before the anointing fell upon him. It's like, you want to know how Jesus lived, what he was like? 
um, in those 30 years up until that time, and as he concluded, I mean, look at the Beatitudes, look at these things, and just try to see them through the eyes of, like, what does this mean for Jesus? And he was trying to disciple them so that when or should the glory of God fall upon them with extraordinary power, that if they live that way, they would never have to, see, to hear the dread words spoken as he spoke at the end of Matthew chapter 7, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. But didn't we do and didn't we, didn't we accomplish and didn't we... And he said, you're workers of lawlessness. And what he's trying to do is disciple people to live like he did so that they might join him as uh, members of the Lamb of God family, so to speak, and be able to accomplish his ministry without any dread because they're able to bear the glory of God just as Jesus was able to. And one of the things that I considered as I was looking at this verse was the principle, do not judge, Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, what I found here is that Jesus didn't judge people, and uh, he instructed us not to judge others. Now, the type of judgment that is spoken of here is that which condemns others through pride. Our hubris is often revealed in what and uh, upon whom, uh, upon in what and whom we look down on. This is how our pride is often revealed. Now, Jesus did not judge people. He didn't act like that. He didn't look down upon people. He didn't judge them. He, and he told us not to do so also. He's saying, I don't judge. Don't you do it either. Now, here, hear this. Jesus is not looking down on you. He understands your weaknesses. Perhaps you didn't obey completely. Uh, perhaps you didn't turn away from temptation. Now, Jesus completely obeyed. He never yielded, but he understands the power of temptation. He understood it then. He understands it now. This is what he is like today. Oh, let's go to this verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. His instruction in Matthew 7, verse 1, to not judge others, reveals that he did not haughtily judge others. And hear this, please. A reason he did not condemn others was not just because he was wonderful and merciful, but also because of empathy. If you have ever fallen or were ever severely tempted in a specific area, and then meet someone who has fallen and is bound, you tend not to haughtily look down upon them. And Jesus is not looking down on you. He is your high priest, who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. We are not to judge others, we are to be in touch with our own frailty, how either we have fallen in the past or we have been tempted in the past or the potential we have to fall into the same sins as others. In Galatians 6, verse 1, Paul wrote, Brethren, even if so anyone is caught in a trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. 
Jesus did not judge, and one reason he did not judge is that he was tempted in all things, just like us, and he knows how powerful temptation can be. He empathizes, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And dear ones, let us empathize with other people's weaknesses too. Let's look at an example. I think that I have another ten minutes, I do. You know, there's this old preacher joke I used at one place that nobody ever heard it before, and they laughed. I'm not expecting this, but they say, who, who here will give me another five minutes? And then the preacher goes, that's five, ten, fifteen, twenty, ten <laughs> Let's like, take a look at Jesus' example with someone who is really guilty. John 8, extraordinary. Uh, and Jesus, they brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus is embarrassed or whatever it is. And he's, he's kneeling down. He's writing in the ground. And they're saying, what is it that the law says? What is it that the law says? What is it that the law says? And when, in John 8, starting in verse 7, when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He put them in contact with their weaknesses and their failures. And he did not condemn because he was in touch with his own weaknesses, not failures, but his own weaknesses. And we will never understand him or how to deal with people if we don't get this. It is only God's mercy or intervention that we have not fallen. God, Now, I, now I can make a joke, another one, and, but I won't to the same degree. I, I, I've said to people in the past, God never delivered me from, and then it was fill in the blank. I don't want it to be taken out of context. I'm not going to mention what I was referring to. But the reason that God never delivered me from it was I had never been involved with it. But I have been involved with things that I've had difficulty getting through. Would I be free if I had fallen into that particular life, lifestyle, pattern of behavior? I don't know. I do have confidence in Jesus. I don't have a tremendous amount of confidence in myself, Savior, and me. I guess, by the mercy of God, I trust that I would get through. But I, I've seen so many people have so many difficulties, and Jesus loves them as much as me. I was never delivered from fill-in-the-blank, but I was never involved. Well, Jesus was never caught in these, any of these specific trespasses. But he does empathize with people who have been so tempted as to transgress back to this woman in the middle of a crowd who is facing a life or death sentence. He empathizes with weakness. He's putting the crowd in touch with their sin, their weaknesses. Dare we think that he was also remembering and empathizing with that woman because he himself was tempted yet without sin? According to that verse in Hebrews, I would say that it's a, it's a sure bet. Well, anyway... Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court and straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Now note, this does not end, but if you do sin again, or but if you do sin again and again, then I will condemn you. Jesus simply said, I do not condemn you. Don't do it. And he never said, if you sin again, I'm going to be the first one to pick up a rock and I'm going to hit you. Why doesn't he condemn? One reason is this. He knows what it's like to be tempted to the point of almost 
transgressing. He understands our weaknesses. He gets the murderer's temptation. He gets the thief's temptation. Fill in the blanks. He understands it. And dear ones, he is relating to sinners empathetically. We can go to the Lord. Jesus, were you ever tempted to not love God? Well, yeah, I I was. How long did it last? I've had some spiritual dry spells that have been really rough. How long were you tempted to not, I mean, really tempted to not love God in first place? How long did it last? There is no way to answer that. We just don't know. But was he ever tempted to not love God? Dear ones, that's the fundamental temptation. Of course he was tempted in that. Jesus, were you ever tempted to not love your neighbor? Well, let me tell you, I mean, I'm from New York. And I can imagine living in a small town with, and growing up where there's a lot of gossip about my mother. Was I ever tempted to not love my neighbor? Was he ever tempted to not love his enemies? Jesus understands what it is like to almost be embittered. He could say, as like my silly illustration at the restaurant, may the Lord not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil waitresses. There was a time in my life, Jesus could say, when I was this close to becoming embittered. It was this close, yet without sin. He really qualifies as being a friend to sinners. And he, Jesus spoke of, of, of his being accused along those lines. Uh, Luke 7, 34, I don't know that I have this on a slide. I do. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Dear ones, his critics were not wrong. We might argue but they were critics, and this must have been a false accusation. Surely he was not a friend of sinners. He just went there to minister to them, not because he wanted to be with them, because he actually wanted to be with them. Friend of sinners. Now, there have been those, we find written in the New Covenant Scriptures, um, that hated him, and yet were unwittingly speaking the truth concerning him. In John 11, Verses 49 through 51, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. For the nation. Listen, Jesus really was a friend to sinners, and he was not a friend to sinners from a distance. He understood how they could sin. His empathy was active. Take a look at a couple of scriptures concerning friendship, and then we'll begin to shut down. A friend loves at all times, Proverbs 17, 17, first part of the verse. This friend of ours loves us at all times. He is faithful to us. He is not a fair-weather friend. Describing the friendship in Proverbs 18, second part of verse 24, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Our friend, yes, he is not alienated from us. The word sticking closer, that word in Hebrew is devak, a man cleaving to his wife, Ruth to Naomi, the men of Judah to David. It is a deep, loving loyalty. That's Jesus, friend of sinners. He is loyal 
He is Emmanuel. He is with us. He is a friend to sinners. He understands temptation. He empathizes. And I could go on, but I think what I'll do is I will stop. Because I want to uh, close in prayer. Um, I really want you guys, brothers and sisters, uh, to make a decision to look at Jesus as somebody who empathizes with you and with the people around you. I mean, to what degree does he empathize with the lost? To the degree his identification in Isaiah 53 is so complete that in describing his suffering, people are saying he, it was like we esteemed him stricken, uh, stricken of God, smitten and afflicted, but we didn't know. We didn't know. His identification with you and with the people out there is so complete. His empathy is rich. It's omnipotent empathy that is born out of a deep, deep understanding of the dynamics and the feeling of temptation. So I'm going to pray for you guys if you would stand, and then I'll hand the service over to uh, Jim. Our Father, first of all, Jesus, friend of sinners, how we need you. Thank you, Lord, that we are in a different classification. Thank you that we are your beloveds, that we are your disciples, uh, that you dwell within us. Lord, I'm asking uh, that uh, we would uh, that the uh, that aspects of guilt or condemnation and fear that would hold us back from relating to you and give us grounds for relating to you as if you were not our friend, that this would break off in the name of Jesus. Jesus, that it would break off in your name, Jesus. Cause this to break off and give to people a fresh breath, fresh air, uh, 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 like an anointing to receive your empathy in every aspect of their lives. Lord, I, I believe that you are the one who represents us to the Father with great empathy, with great empathy. And Lord Jesus, I believe that you went to the cross on our behalf with deep sympathy. Lord, I love and thank you so much for your extraordinary friendship and also, Lord, remembering what it is you endured wherein Gethsemane uh, becomes the, uh, the, the, the archetype, the paradigm of what you endured your entire life. And I give you glory, Jesus, a grateful credit, for you are the one who overcame. You have overcome the world. And Lord, I'm praying that you would overcome in each of our lives as well. Welcome, 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 Lord Jesus. We open the doors to our lives to experience you in your empathy towards us in our worst state. Amen.